0: Well, listen, I am just fired up to be here. It is an honor to come, and i tell you what's more, more honorable is just sitting in the presence of God. I mean, I don't know if y'all understand how blessed you guys are. Number one, to have the pastor that you got. His mullet and everything's really cool, but that dude walks with Jesus, okay? Um, and he is, he, I think he's going to listen to this Thursday. He told me, so I love your hair. Listen, but it, you, you don't understand a man that, that understands understands the spirit realm that understands the presence of God and you you, I don't know if a lot of you understand how blessed you are to to every single week sit in the presence of God because he's here I mean there's definitely life here and it's it's a it's a blessing and it's an honor to have life uh, a life-giving church uh, because there's a lot of churches that are not life-giving and so You guys are in the midst of it. And what gives life is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in us and just the Holy Spirit sitting on top of us in this place. And so it's good. It's really, really good. Uh, Nelson says he's been doing a a series called Come Holy Spirit. I didn't know that until last night, but that's not what my message is about. The Holy Spirit is not. So we're going to say that for next week for him, all right, when he comes. And so I am – I just want to talk to you today about wins and wars, okay? Um, You know, I'm going to step out and say – that there's a great possibility, just because uh, in my own life, I've, God has really been teaching me um, about when God is moving, that the enemy is also. Uh, how, may, how many of you feel like, man, God's moving in your life some way for me? Like you grow and something, something good's happening for you? G- there's also, what I've also learned is in the midst of when God's moving the strongest, it always seemed like there's a big, gigantic, massive war taking place at the same time. And you know, the things that I'm going to say today probably isn't going to be like, you know, super uh, revealing, and it's going to be absolutely like, oh, I've never thought of that. Honestly, I think, more. Than, more than, if you've been in church long enough, the things I'm going to say today are things that you've heard before. It's going to be an incredibly simple message. I think it's just going to be more confirmation for some people. I just, I really feel like that's the direction God wanted me to go today, and maybe to encourage you, to challenge you, to don't give up, to keep going, to keep fighting. Uh, I, you know, and honestly, uh, you know, I, there, there may be a war in some people's lives in the area of that might not be walking with God in this place. And the war is the Holy Spirit, right? He's just on top of you doing everything possible to pull you into the kingdom, to pull you into who he is. And so it might be a different war for you. But I want to talk to people who today, who are pursuing after God, who are chasing after him. You know, there, there are a lot of you who God's doing tremendous things in your lives, and he's doing incredible things. And you know, some of you being set free from religion, thank you. You know, I, I, I hear people getting healed from cancer and stuff. I think people getting set free from religion is just as big a miracle as anything else because I'm telling you, it is blinding and it, is, it, it looks right, smells right, tastes right, but it is not right. Um, and so, you know, God is really teaching people more about who He is and relationship. Maybe some of you getting set free from addiction, addiction could be in a jillion different ways. Uh, maybe some of you are getting free, set free from financial bondage. Some of you, your marriage is being restored. Uh, maybe some of you have just given your life to Christ and you're starting a new relationship with Jesus. You know, I don't know. What I'm saying is, is that when you're, you're having wins in your life, when God is doing God-sized stuff, go ahead and know that when you have God wins in your life, that there's always a war that you'll have to fight you'll always have a war that you're going to have to fight. You know, the enemy really is ticked off because he had you in his trap. You know, if God wins is I don't care how long you've been walking with Jesus, you're always going to be growing. You should be always growing. You should never be content with where you are. Right? There should be some kind of growth taking place in your life. And I'm not talking about academic growth. I'm talking about the Spirit of God revealing things inside of you, sanctification, putting it to death, becoming more like Jesus and following Him. Okay? And so there should be wins taking place in your life on a regular basis when you're walking with God. And the enemy is ticked off about it. It's because he had you in his trap of deception right where he wanted you, and now you've been set free because you've bought into truth. You've bought into truth. You know, bondage, all bondage is is lies, and I'm sure Pastor Nelson has taught you guys that because he, he taught me how to get set free. I mean, he's, he's one of the guys that's mentored me. And you know, all bondage is is lies, and all of a sudden, one day, you know, the light turns on, and you reveal, God reveals truth to you, and you realize that this habitual line that I've I've had my mind wrapped around for all these years has been wrong. And honestly, you know, that's why that's why the Christian life is all about renewing your mind. Renewing your mind because that's where the lies set in. And so God wants to start restoring you with truth. Because truth is what? It's freedom, alright? The truth will set you free. And so we see that truth sets us free. And so when you buy into truth, we understand now that God is doing everything he can to get you away from the lies and the devil's doing everything he can to get you back into the lies, uh, you know, so, so that he can uh, trap you right where he had you. He wants you back. All right. So here's what I want you to know. You know, I, I truly believe that as crazy as it sounds and as backwards as it sounds, as mysterious as it sounds, the Lord uses the war. You know, the, the, the enemy a lot of times overplays his hand, God will take the tricks and the deceptions and the things of the enemy to teach us more about who he is, about who God is. So the Lord uses the war to make us more like him if we respond correctly. It's all in how we respond. You respond respond either with truth or you respond in lies. And so what God wants more than anything else is for us to get set free more and more and more and more So that we can be more like him. Because the more we become like him, the more freedom we walk in. And honestly, more of the light can be pushed out of us into the lives of other people. Why? Because we know that the kingdom of God is about people. The kingdom of God is not about buildings and streets and lots and restaurants. The kingdom of God is always about people. What makes a city? You know, I think about a city on a hill. We're like a city. on What makes a city? A city is about people. If you didn't have people in it, you really wouldn't have a city, okay? So the kingdom is all about people. Being a light in a dark world is all about drawing people in. So God wants, number one, set you free so that he can use you as a conduit, as a vessel to help set other people free. Does that sound good? I'm getting that preaching spirit. All right, here we go. Listen. Y'all like that. I've got moment Pentecostal on you. Listen. Here's what Judges 3, 1 through 4 says. All right? Judges 3, 1 through 4. Let me let me read. If you got your Bibles, you can turn there if you don't. I think it'll be on the screens. It should be. It says, these are the nations. Now understand, this is a whole nother generation. This is a whole generation of Israelites. A generation has died off that pursued God. A whole new generation is coming in, and everything was great and wonderful, but God is teaching them some things. It says, these are the nations that the Lord left in the land to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. How about God? God left the enemy in their land. He left them there for a purpose and for a reason. These are the nations that the Lord left in the land to test those, to test. He used the enemy, the nations that were their enemy, left them in the land to teach them how to become warriors. He did this to teach them warfare. He did this to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had no experience in battle. Now there's a lot of people here today that God is teaching you warfare. He's giving you experience in battle to teach you how to be a warrior. We're going to come back to that. These are the nations, the Philistines, those living under the five Philistine rulers, all the Canaanites, the city the Try saying those words. Sid, Sid, Sidinians, I've, I've practiced these, I promise you. And the Hivites living in the mountains of Lebanon and, the, and, and from Mount Bel Hermon to Labo Hamath, these people were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the commands, see if they would walk in truth, to see if they would obey the commands the Lord had given to their ancestors through Moses. So we see. There's always going to be a battle you're facing in life, but God uses our battles, our battles, to develop our godly character. God uses the battle to develop our godly character. So let me give you two reasons why God allows us to experience wars in life. How many of you got a war going on in your life right now? Throw your hands up. All right. Wave them in the air like you just don't care. Listen, two reasons why God allows us to experience wars in life. Number one, to teach you how to be a warrior and how to fight. And number two, to test your faith and obedience. So there's there's places where God is allowing us to learn how to fight to develop our godly character. So I, I want you to I want you to see something that that the Lord revealed to me in scripture. Let's look at uh, point number one to teach you how to be a warrior and how to fight. You know um, something that God revealed to me a while back. There's been a lot of things that's been that's happened uh, in our church uh, with me just god's just moving in a large, large way, but it seems like all hell is breaking loose on a regular basis. I'll come back to that too, but in the midst of praying one day when I was at the church, I was just kind of pacing the floors and praying, the Lord just started revealing to me all the winds, a lot of winds that took place in scripture, and the very next scene that you see in the scripture right after the wind was a war i I think about I think about Joseph right off the bat, and we could start earlier than that if we wanted to, but I think about Joseph. Joseph had a dream and a vision. You know, I'm going to step out and say if God gives you a dream or a vision, that some way, form, or fashion, that that is a win. That is God giving you a vision of future. He's telling you something. So Joseph had a dream and a vision from God. And the very next scene that we see after he tells his brothers and his father the vision and the dream, that Joker gets thrown into a pit. And then he gets picked up, and he gets taken into Egypt, and then he becomes one of the servants of Pharaoh, gets thrown into prison for, uh, you know, Pharaoh's wife lied about Daniel. Daniel was supposed to get out quicker than what he thought he would, but he stayed in there a long time. And in the whole process of, of basically Joseph staying in prison and getting thrown into a pit, God used every bit of that to refine him, to prepare him to be second in command in Egypt. And for that vision, that dream that he had when he was a boy to come alive. He had a vision. The very next thing you see is a war, but God used every bit of it to raise him up. And then we see the, the Israelites, basically a new Pharaoh comes in. They get placed into a and to, they get captured and they become slaves to Pharaoh. Who's the very next people we see on scene? Moses. So Moses was called, all right, to go and set them free. Got basically, uh, Moses got a word from God by a burning bush. You know, a, bur- uh, a bush, light- listen, if a burning bush lights on fire and somebody starts speaking through it, I'm going to have to go clean out my britches. That's not going to be good. Can I say that in Mars? I can say that in Can I can say it in Coleman. Sometimes some of y'all are like, you shouldn't say that, Andy. Okay, you're, that's not good. Listen, um, I, it would freak me out. Can I say this, by the way, side note, um, for those of you that God's speaking to? Um, this is just complete side. This is a whole other message in and of itself. How many burning bushes does God have to have with you for, you, for him to get your attention? How many burning bushes does God have to have? Before he can get your attention. Huh? God's speaking to some of you, and he's been speaking to you for a long time. And he's thrown everything in the world at you to grab your attention, to reveal to you, this is the direction I want you to go. I wonder how many of us, how many burning bushes we have to have. All right, side note, let's come back to the other message. Listen. So we see that basically he has a God experience, a burning bush. God tells him to go set my people free. He makes excuses like a lot of us are really good at. He sends Aaron to help him with the excuses. And he goes down to Pharaoh and he watches seven plagues from God take place. And he has, to, he has a word and then he has to fight Pharaoh with seven horrible plagues. And then he ends up letting them go. And then he's chased by Pharaoh's army coming to kill them, every one of them. And then he sees a miracle of the Red Sea, Parton, and he crosses the Jordan River and watches all of Pharaoh's people die. And then we see him go and wander in the wilderness for years. (laughs) With every win, there's always a war that follows it up some way, form, or fashion. I think about Joshua. Joshua's told to cross the Jordan. Hey, Joshua! Moses has died in three days. I need all the Israelites to pack your bags. We moving, right? We going somewhere. Tell them to pack the bags. We on the way out. So he crosses the Jordan River after three days of God telling. He crosses the Jordan with, you know. By the way, when he crossed it, it means that it split just like the Red Sea. They went across it. And what happens on the other side of the Jordan? Even in the promised land, the the, the, the land of milk and honey, whatever that is, that sounds nasty. Listen, the, 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 the land of milk, the place of rest, they still had a war. Went straight from watching God move a wind of taking the people into the promised land that had been promised to them 400 years before with Abraham. God promised Abraham 400 years earlier than this moment. And the promise is coming alive. And he crosses the Jordan River and immediately has to go to Jericho to watch the walls fall. Then he has to go fight Ai and loses the battle and then goes and wins the battle. There's wars that take place. So we see that they had wins, And as soon as the wind took place, they went into a war. Even in the promised land. Did you know that even in rest, even in the promised land, that you're still going to have wars? You know, I think about David. David was anointed king by Samuel. You know, he went through all the boys, and he's out there, you know, uh, keeping the sheep. And basically, he asked Jesse, hey, is this all your boys? He goes, no, I got one more youngin' out there. He's keeping my sheep. He says, go get him, because these ain't the ones that God wants. I don't think he said ain't, but um, that's, that's my southern vernacular. All right? And so, he went out and found David. The Bible said he was ruddy whatever that means, ruddy and muddy, pulls him in and says, this is the boy, anoints him as king. What's the very next scene that we see in scripture when he's anointed king? He immediately goes to war. He's taking some cheese and crackers to his brothers and ends up like, hey, whoa, 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 what's wrong with you boys? Like, we got God on our side. We could kill him. This dude wasn't even trained to fight. But he said, I trust God. So immediately he goes to war after he's anointed king. A oh, win. You're king of Israel, young man. Very next scene he goes and fights Goliath. Did you know? You know, you you would think scripturally <laughs> that David, as soon as he was anointed king, would go straight to the go straight to the throne. But for 12 years of his life he was chased by Saul. <laughs> Wanting to be killed, being demoted because Saul's envy and jealousy, whole nother message in and of itself. Being demoted down. Because women were singing behind David. Saul kills his thousands. David kills his ten thousands. And Saul didn't like it very much. So he starts chunking spears at him. Twelve years. But you know what God was doing in that twelve years? While he was a young man, all the way up until about 30? When Jesus started his ministry, by the way, he was preparing him to be king. And he went through trials and tribulations and difficult times, but God allowed it so that he would respond correctly so he could make him the man that God needed him to be for the Israelites. I think about Peter and James. Well, oh, I think about Jesus. How about Jesus was baptized by water and fire, That's what the Bible says. And says that the Spirit of God came down on him like a dove. So we see that there there was incredible symbolism, incredible things that took place with Jesus. It was a win. He was doing what his father sent him to do. He was walking him into his ministry. The very next scene, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 4 that the Spirit of God led him, the Spirit of God, not the devil, the Spirit of God led him into the desert to be tempted by the enemy for 40 days and 40 nights. God led him to the desert. He just got through seeing a wind, baptized, the Holy Spirit, fire falling on him. Goes straight into the desert. You know, one thing I've learned, and this might sound backwards to you, it almost might sound like a heresy. God does not tempt us by no way. But there's a place where he leads us, where he allows the enemy to reveal to us our fallenness. Huh? (laughs) Would she like that? Listen. He allows the enemy to come in to reveal to us. Then we have to respond correctly with Jesus. And a lot of us have responded wrong, but after we have failed and we pick ourselves up and we dust ourselves off with Jesus, with the blood of Christ, We've learned from our mistakes and we move forward and say, I never want to do it again. Number one, not because of guilt and shame, but because I've gone against the one I love. Don't think that it's still not going to be easy to still fall into that because you can. Can I tell you something else that, that this is just another, another little rabbit trail, all right? another side message? This might sound backwards to you also. But one of the things that I think makes us more like Christ is when we get in touch with our fallenness. Whenever we begin to see our fallenness. You know, I, I always go back to Jeremiah, and I know Jesus died on the cross, but as long as we walk in this, in, this, in this body, we still have the curse of sin on us, even though when we stand before God, God no longer sees us as sinners, as a saints. So I know you learned that from your pastor because he taught me that. He still sees us as saints positionally, but we still struggle every single day. That's what sanctification is about. But when God begins to reveal to you your fallenness, it's amazing how much more gentle you become with other people's sin. And the problem with church today in a lot of places is that we have not gotten in touch with our fallenness. That's why we're mean a lot of times. Because we think, man, I've arrived.
1: Woo, 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 look at me.
0: What happened to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness? Did you know, this is, a, I'm fixing to preach, I, I, can't, I can't do this. I'm trying to keep up with Nelson. Nelson preaches like an hour, so I'm trying to stay with him. Some of y'all like, no, don't, I want to go. beat the lunch people today, church people. Listen, I, 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 I talked to waiters and waitresses. This is just kind of an example. And I don't really know where this comes from. I, I, I've got a good idea. I talked to waiters and waitresses at restaurants. I remember talking to a lady from Cracker Barrel, an older lady, who was a godly, sweet woman. She came to me, she told told me, this is years ago, told me in tears. This was at Cracker Barrel in Gardendale. This was years ago. I I don't even know why I even asked her the question. I said, hey, what's the worst day for you to work? She goes, oh, oh, hands down, Sundays. I said, Sundays? Listen, by the way, that's what all of them say. Everybody I've ever talked to, nine out of ten will say Sundays. I said, why Sundays? And she tells me in tears. She says, because the church people that come in are... Are the, are the meanest, the rudest, the worst tippers. They'll leave me a gospel track, but I've got three kids. I'm a single mom at the house trying to take care of my babies, and a gospel track ain't going to feed my kids. And they were demanding their, teas be, their tea be filled and mean and rude. And she said that people in the back will literally fight over, the word, workers there were literally fight over who's going to work on Sundays because they don't want to deal with the church people. And she says, I try every single day to give them Jesus. They said they will not go to Christ. They will not come to Christ because of what they see on Sundays with church people. Because you pick pick church people out of a crowd. I mean, on Sundays especially. You know, I think there's a place where we actually think, because I went to church today. Boy, look at me. I'm good. And young lady, you're here working, serving me mashed potatoes and my roast beef. Why wasn't you at church today? I went to church. Look at me. Are you kidding me? I mean, we could go a long way. That's my passion. God's called me to the religious crowd. We've got to get rid of our arrogance and our self righteousness and our our pompous ways of thinking that we've arrived when in reality, we're just covered by the blood of Jesus and we all have a long ways to go. I don't care how long you've been in church and how much you read your Bible and how much you pray. The closer I get to God, the more of me I see, and it makes me want to blow groceries. Can I say that, Mars? <laughs> I hope so. It's, but, it, but I walk next to the cross. I see the beauty of the gospel, and so I don't walk in condemnation and guilt. I walk in, in conviction, and I walk in his grace and his mercy. Anyway, didn't mean to go that far. I think about Peter and James, how they experienced Pentecost and the Spirit of God falls on them at Pentecost with tongues of fire and they start speaking in each other's language with different tongues. And the very next scene that we see with Peter and James is are being beaten with rods and almost thrown into prison. Got a God win and then a war. I think about how Paul experienced God on the road to Damascus falls off the animal. He's riding. I guess it's a camel. It's the way I picture it. I don't know. He, he falls off the animal he's riding. A bright light shines on him. Jesus speaks to him and says, why are you persecuting my people? Sends him to a, to a house. Sends Ananias to come and heal him of his blindness. And the very next thing we see with Paul's life is that he spends most of his life in prison and that's where he writes most of what we call the Bible today. He had a God experience. He had a God win. But there was a war that followed. And if it wasn't for that war with him being in prison, we probably wouldn't be reading a lot of what Paul has to say today. There's always going to be a war. By the way, I could give you a lot more examples. I'm just, I think you got my point. There's always going to be a war when God's moving. Listen, God's moving at eagle's wing and there's going to be a war. There's going to be a place where the devil's going to try to get somebody, somebody in this place to be divisive, to destroy what God's doing. We'll come back to that in a second too. If you're experiencing difficult things in your life after God-sized thing, God things have happened in your life, know, know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've become a threat to hell. You've become a threat to hell. When the lies have been removed and truth has replaced it, you have become a threat to hell. I wonder how many of us in this room are really a threat to hell. You know, I always think about, you know, I think about the Seven Sons of Skiva, which is pretty, that's not like a name of a movie, like a Western or something, Seven Sons of Sceva. Um, I, 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 um, You know, they go out, you know, they, they see this demoniac and they basically say, hey, we rebuke you in, in the name of Paul's Jesus, the one that Paul preaches. We rebuke you and command you to come out. And this demoniac looks at them and says, Jesus we know, and Paul we know, but who are you? Then it says he stripped them of their clothes and, yeah, there you go. Preach it, girl. (laughs) Beat them down. And they went home naked. (laughs) That's embarrassing. Listen. You know, I I can understand Jesus and all of that. Like they know Jesus. But Paul was just like me and you. He had a sinful nature. He was flesh. He just responded with God. And if Paul is known in hell, who is just like me and you, flesh and blood with a sinful nature, I think people like us can be known in hell also. Those are the ones that's taken hold of the kingdom of God violently saying I'm going to go where God calls me to go and I'm going to move with him where he moves and I'm going to walk with him where he walks and I'm going to run with him where he runs and the enemy hates it because what starts happening is we begin to push back the gates of hell and we begin to rescue people out of the fiery pits of hell and we start getting them restored rebuilt and revived for the sake of Jesus for the sake of the kingdom God begins to use us as vessels and we begin to be used and you become a threat to hell so all hell is going to break loose on your life I'm glad the kids have gone to the daycare. I just said, hell. Listen, it's going to break loose on you.
1: Because you're doing something right. You're doing something right.
0: If all hell is breaking loose in your life and you're you, no listen and you're chasing Jesus. Now, if you're not chasing Jesus and all, all hell's breaking loose, there's a great possibility that God's trying to bring you to Himself. All right? That's another message in itself. I'm talking about if you're chasing Jesus and crazy things are happening, maybe you got prodigals, granddaughters, grandsons, sons, and daughters. If he can't get to you, he's gonna to go to the next of kin. And because you are praying your gut's out for them, they're going to get set free. Keep going where you're going. God's chasing them.
1: There's always going to be a war. Listen, it's normal. It's
0: normal. You need to respond correctly. Let God move on you and in the midst of the war. Let God move on you. Like, listen, God's teaching us how to fight, and the plan of the enemy is to take the fight out of you. Do you hear me? God is teaching us how to fight. He's teaching, just like he did with the, the new generation. He's teaching us how to be warriors. He's teaching us how to fight because we have an enemy, right? I mean, don't the Bible tell us that over and over and over again? Stay alert. You've got, a, you've got an enemy. You're in a war against the world, against your flesh, against the enemy. You are in a war. you got to be a warrior. The plan of the enemy is to take the fight out of you. I wonder how many in here the fight's gone. You just couldn't take it no more. The beautiful thing about redemption and grace is that you're still alive, your heart's still beating in your chest. Get back in the fight. We need you. Get back in the war. Don't let the enemy take the fight out of you. You fight, we fight different than the world, we fight on our knees. I'm pretty sure Nelson's a prayer warrior. He's taught me how to pray, so I'm sure y'all do prayer here somewhere. When y'all do prayer? Do y'all do it sometime? Wednesday nights? Where you at? This community, huh? Any warriors? You you at the house watching Grey's Anatomy or something? That's why. That's why they got. I don't even know. They might not even come on Wednesday. I don't know what's on Wednesday nights. Listen, Fox News. Dear God, get here and praise. Just as that's boring. Listen, that's what I got DVRs for. Thank you, Jesus. Come pray and then watch it later. I was just driving through here. That's where I grew up. This is where I grew up. I remember riding my bicycle from the backside of Kimberly all the way down to Marsh Ballpark. What was my mama thinking? I mean, like, crazy. Like, we crazy back there. Like what, I was one of them Latsky kids, for you guys to know what the Latsky kids was. I mean, I, I remember I driving. Seriously, seriously, I'm facing them just... Lay it all out here for you. I was, I started shedding tears. Like, man, I started bringing back so many memories about this community. This my community. I started thinking about all the people here that I knew and I still know who don't know Jesus. Where you at on Wednesday? Where you at?
1: We gonna fight for them? They can't fight for themselves. They don't know truth, but we do. I could preach about this all night long because I've watched prayer
0: work. I see it work in Coleman, Alabama. And I've seen it work all over the world and I've, I've read books about it when it worked in the past, but that's one way the enemy fights. He tells us that prayer's pointless, that it doesn't work. Well, <laughs> he, he put a good one on us. We got our Wednesday night prayer services in most churches, but ain't no prayer going on. We pray for Aunt Sally's toenail. Anybody got prayer requests? I got prayer requests right here. We give our prayer equation, we pray for about three minutes, and then we teach another lesson. Like we all need another Bible lesson.
1: We've been in church all our life. Some of y'all are like, What are you saying, Brother Andy? I'm saying we need to pray. We know truth. That's how you fight. We pray individually, we pray together.
0: That's the key. I mean, I'm telling you, he's pulled a good one on us. And we still ain't going, I'll preach this all day long, and there'll still be the same three that show up on Wednesdays. I just hope that didn't make you feel guilty. But I'm, I'm trying to help you understand
1: that he's pulled a good one on us. He's
0: teaching us how to fight, and the plan of the enemy is to take the fight out of you. It's to get you comfortable It's to get you caught up in the world system. It's to get you caught up in finding fault with God. You know, there's people in this room right here that has something bad happen in your life, and there ain't a person in this room that never had something bad happen in your life, some way, form, or fashion. And because your pain is hurting, you're painful, you're hurting on the inside, you got to find fault with somebody. And the first person it's easiest to find fault with is God. But the Bible says very plainly that in this world you'll have many, not a few, not some, but many trials and tribulations. But Jesus says, I have overcome the world. In other words, don't run from me. See, that's where the devil plays dirty. He crawls up in your ear and starts telling you, how could a loving God allow something like this to happen? But yet, every one of us have dealt with trials and tribulations. It's all in how you respond. God knows we're going to deal with trials and tribulations. Listen, if there's anybody that went through trials and tribulations on this earth, it was Jesus. He lost loved ones. Lazarus was his best friend. I read it yesterday. He wept. He saw death. He saw sickness. He saw the meanest of the meanest people, the religious people. He saw mean people backstab him.
1: His own best friend's disciples walked away from him.
0: Took on the sin of the world, took on the wrath of God. If there's anybody that understands trials and tribulations, it's Jesus. And he says, don't run from me during those times. Crawl up underneath me and let me hold you. And Some of you in here that need to, as rain, you, God, you found fault with God. And you're not, you're not into war. You use God because something bad's happened. God is madly and passionately in love with you. And if that's you, then God sent me from Coleman, Alabama to tell you that he is for you to quit running from him and crawl up underneath him and let him grab you up and hold you and kiss you and walk with you through the storm. Because that's who he is. I've overcome the world, so I know what it's like. I can help you overcome it too. Just let me help you. You know, just get a little transparent with you for a minute. You
1: know, I, I think about
0: my family, I think about me, I think about our staff, I think about our church. Listen, God's, God's done just at, at our church, and God's doing incredible things here too. That's what I love. I think we're all in a generation and a time right now of a movement. I think there's a movement taking place, and it's right underneath our nose, and I think a lot of us might be missing it. I think church history books one day will write about this day. God's moving like crazy all over the, the world. Even though we say it's the darkest time in the church, I say it's one of the greatest times in the church. You just got to see it. You got to find it. God's doing things here anyway. God's doing incredible things at our church. You know, we've been going for five and a half years, and we've started different campuses, and we've seen thousands give their life to Christ, and just, just things that I, ne- I never dreamed of whenever I was going to go, when we were, me and my wife was going to go plant Desperation Church, and um, starting a new college this, this, uh, this September. And it's amazing how it's been some of the best days of ministry In my entire life. But it has been a literal hell. I'm telling you, there's days that I want to quit. I see now why seminary graduates, guys that graduate seminary within five years are completely out of ministry. Over 50%. It's about higher than that. It's about 70% now. Of Seminary graduates are out of ministry within five years. Twelve to fifteen hundred ministers get out of ministry every single
1: month. We're going to come back to that in just a minute for your pastor. I mean, it, it,
0: it's been some of the worst five years of my life, even though it's been some of the best. You know, I think about just with our staff, you know, with our building in Arab that we just launched the church. We had all kinds of issues. Didn't think we were going to get it launched off. Got things happening in Jasper with that building. Got the enemies trying to keep us from prayer there. That's a whole other story in itself. In a five-month time period, we've had three staff members on our staff have miscarriages. I think about Adam, our Jasper pastor. His wife's been in and out of the hospital with shingles and surgery. Um he, my Jasper campus pastor just he he found just found out that his mom, who's his who, who's the love of his life, his mama has got cancer. Also just found out that one of his best friends in the world just died of cancer. Think about my Arab pastor. <laughs> His wife has been in and out of the hospital, and they've gone through some incredible times, difficult times, where they thought she was literally going to die. She ended up being okay. I think about all of our staff has had cars break down and houses get messed up from storms and stuff. Um, My wife found out just a few months ago that she had an obstruction in her kidney that she was born with that we didn't know anything about. She started backing up fluid in her on the inside of her, and we all got really, really worried about it. She was in more pain than I've ever seen her in my entire life. She's a pretty tough woman. I've seen her have two kids. I right? for her to cry. Woo, woo, woo. It's bad. I had to go have surgery to get that fixed. Uh, there's a place where uh, I'm, a, I'm a young man. I feel like a young man. I'm 45, but all of LA works wonders, all right? Listen, um, they found out I have diverticulitis, which it feels like you got kicked in the stomach by a, a donkey i um but that's what usually older people get and they're like you you're going to have surgery like get my like stuff cut out of there that should stay there. I gotta put it there for a reason. They found a mass on my brain I had a seizure, found a mass on my brain um fell out um Freaked my wife out. She's scared to sleep with me now because she's got. I'm going to do it again. <laughs> but flew me to Chattanooga to go get it checked. It just happens to be If you such thing as a good mass. I've got a good mass in my brain. That's I, I what I blame all the things I shouldn't say. I blame it on. We've named my mass Randy. So every time I say something I shouldn't say, I say, it's Randy's fault. Randy did that. It's Randy. Listen, I'm not telling you all that. You know, we got hospital bills stacked up to the ceiling. Um, I, I'm not telling you all that. A poor, pitiful Andy. That's not what I'm telling you that for. Uh, I'm telling you that because God is doing something in our midst. I tell you what's worse than all of that is just the mental torment that the enemy bangs your mind 24-7. But in the middle of it, God is trying to teach me more about himself. I'm a fixer. It's a place where I always like to try to fix stuff. And so if I feel like somebody's going to do something in the church, I try to fix it. And there's a place where God just grabbed me up by the shirt collar in a loving, gentle way. Say, so, hey, this is in your church. It's my church. Quit worrying about it. Stop. Won't you trust me that I love you enough to protect it? And some of you are out trying to fix your life on a regular basis. Won't you let God grab you up by the shirt collar, look you eyeball to eyeball in love, and say, hey, I love you
1: enough To protect you. Because he does. I'm going to come back to Nelson on that in just a minute.
0: Listen, the enemy is wanting us to quit or to become content. God's wanting to strengthen us with the war, and it's all in how we respond. The second point, which is going to be a lot quicker, is God uses the war to test our faith. God uses the water test. Hey, what what is the main ingredient ingredients of Christianity? It's faith. It's faith. Faith is powerful. So the enemy attacks you every way possible to keep you from walking by faith. And so I think there's places where God allows us to get so far out on a limb. I hope I'm good right here. There's a camera. So far out on a limb that all we can do is trust Him which is a great place to be because it begins to teach us more about who God is. You know, the main war for most of us is in our minds. It's mental. And the enemy constantly tries to install fear in most of our lives and tell us on a regular basis that we're losers, losers, or you need to quit today, and what's he doing? He's trying to take the fight out of you. But faith strengthens you. It produces patience and freedom and strength. Some of you may have just given your life to Christ, and it seems like all hell is breaking loose, and some of you are like, man, what in the world did I sign up for? You signed up for a journey with Jesus. You signed up for an adventure. You signed up for a war. You signed up for a relationship with the Father. You signed up for freedom. You signed up for a lot of great things. There's also suffering that comes with it. It's the joy in the suffering.
1: Hey, if you want to come on, you can come on, girl. Um, she's just going to play behind me. It helps me. I'm going to start crying because usually I tell, her, I
0: tell her to play something that makes us all cry. All right? So <laughs> she starts playing like ACDC, then it ain't going to work. All right? <laughs> it, the wars in our minds. And the enemy's constantly trying to install fear in most of our lives. And tell us on a regular basis that we're losers, you need to quit. But faith, faith, it strengthens you, it produces patience, and it produces freedom and strength. And I believe fear is the number one way the enemy attacks people. Fear is the number one way that the enemy attacks people. And fear comes in a jillion different packages. Once again, a whole nother message, that's a series in, in and of itself. Fear is the way the enemy attacks you. Why? Because it's the, it, it, it keeps us from faith. But when the enemy attacks you with fear, you override it with faith. Faith is the enemy of fear. Fear is the enemy of faith. That's, my, that's what I believe. You know, I think that there's a place where God may allow us to get into a place of fear. So we say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you in the middle of this. I'm going to walk by faith. God, even though I can't control it, I don't want some of us like to control stuff. Even though I can't control it, I'm going to trust you in the middle of it. And I'm going to walk by faith, and I know you love me enough that you're going to handle it. And if it gets worse, I'm going to keep on trusting you. Because, God, you know, you know this situation in my life better than I do. And, God, this didn't catch you by surprise. Two ways to fight. You fight by trusting God. You fight by trusting God that he's for us and will fight for us. And he's our protector. And let me tell you what else you do. This is the other way to fight. We fight with and for each other. That's why we have the body of Christ. The church, the local church is God's design. It's made up of people. Not a person. And all of us should understand the war together that we fight with each other. Not in the area of like, I don't like you. Punch them in the mouth. Give them the right hand of fellowship. That's not the kind of fight I'm talking about. We fight for each other. We fight for each other. Why? Because we unconditionally love each other. Listen. God isn't raising up one person to fight. God's not called us to be Rambo. You're not a Rambo. We're an army, right? We're to be an army. Desperation Church and Eagle's Wing are together. We don't fight against each other. That's just stupid. Church of God and Baptist. we may have some secondary beliefs in some areas, but we're still believers. We fight together. We don't fight against each other. But boy, the devil's put a good one. He's put a good one on us.
1: Because I see more churches fighting than I've ever seen in my entire life. He's called us to be an army.
0: And the only way we win the war is if we do it together. We win the war by doing it together. And the enemy hates unity because unity is powerful. Listen, what was it in John chapter 17 that Jesus prayed for? When he's talking to his father, one of his last prayers before he went to the cross. The last prayer that he prayed, he didn't pray like, God, I pray in the future. He prayed for future believers. That'd be us. Pray for future believers. He didn't pray for great Bible scholars. He didn't pray for great prayer warriors. He didn't pray for great worship leaders. He said, God, I pray that they'd be unified, like you and me are unified. What unifies us? What it's the thread of Christ that runs through us. One thread. Different personalities, different gifts, different DNA. But it's one thread that unifies It's the blood of Jesus. But the characteristic of that thread is love. Because I love you, even though you have faults, even though you have sin, even though you have things that might even get under my skin every night, I still love you, and I'm going to fight for you. The enemy hates unity when we fight for each other and we war for each other. And when we become a safe place for each other, it's amazing how God can use us. Listen, I pray on a regular basis. I used to, and it's a dangerous prayer. It's a really dangerous prayer. I've learned this over the years now. I used to pray, and I still do pray at times. It's kind of scary. God, I want to be a man of no reputation. I want your name to be glorified through me. I don't want to leave a legacy of Andy Heiss. When I die, I want to leave a legacy of Jesus. Oh, dear God, what a dangerous prayer. Because to get to that place, I've had to go through a lot, and I've still got a long ways to go. But God's called us to be a people of no reputation, God's called us to be a faceless army, God's called us to lock arms. (laughs) Go to the front lines of the battlefield, get bloody for the sake of Jesus together, to fight, to be warriors for him. So how are you fighting? You know, one of the things I said is so we can become a safe place, a safe place for each other, a safe place for each other. You know what I've learned in church? Nobody feels safe with anybody. People are scared slapped to death that if I tell somebody my deepest, darkest secret or the things inside of me that are holding me back for pursuing Jesus that everybody in the church and everybody in the community is going to know. So we just stay in bondage because nobody's safe. Well, it's good to get some good juicy stuff on some people, isn't it? Because it makes me feel a lot better about myself. I'll be honest with you, I don't trust many people. I don't talk to hardly anybody. I got like one or two guys, Nelson being one of them, one or two guys I talk to about me, things I struggle with. It shouldn't be that way. We should all be in touch with our depravity, our fallenness. But on the flip side, we, we, we understand the cross. We understand the blood of Jesus so that we can help each other walk through this life that is dark and so we can be a light in a dark world. Huh? Can I give you a picture of what the church should look like? It's going to be awkward for some of you, especially Baptist people. All right? Just kidding. I, I, I grew up Baptist. Um, I, just, I just offended you. You didn't hear anything else I said. I'm mad now, bless God. Listen, you're at Eagle's Wing now. I think we're non-denominational. Listen, can I get you to do something? I want you to stand up. I want you to lock arms. Lock arms with somebody. Just lock arms with somebody. might be a little awkward. Find somebody to lock arms with. Come across. Hey, go come across the aisle. Come across. Come on. I, I, well, grab hold of it right there. This is what it should look like, huh? We won. We're unified. We're one. I don't want you to hear me. The devil can't do stuff with this. He can't do anything with this.
1: When we're one, he can't. He can't do anything
0: with this. Cause we fight together. We're an army. And you got a leader, and his name's. Pastor Nelson, you know how the enemy tries to destroy you? He starts with your leader first. That's why you need to be praying your guts out for this man. Every single day, you pray your guts out, because I'm telling you, because I, I never knew what it was like for a pastor until I became one about five years ago. And I'm telling you, it is not easy. People saying all the time, well, them pastors, they just don't work. And they may not. There's there's pastors that do not. But I will tell you one thing. I know one thing that's working is their mind, and the enemy's attacking it 24-7. And he's attacking their family 24-7. David Jett, some of you know who he is. He's one of my mentors. He told me a story. He told me a story of of a photographer that loved to take pictures of animals, but his favorite animal was a wolf, was wolves. So this photographer went and found, uh, y'all keep holding on to each other. It's going, awkward, it's good, all right, we're good. Hope you wore your deodorant today. Listen, he went and found a a tracker, somebody who tracked wolves. He was a professional tracker and trapper. Because he had to go find the wolves to take the pictures of them. And so this trapper, tracker, told him, said, Here's what you do. He said, You got to go to the, to to find the pack, you got to find the alpha male. Go find the alpha male. You got to learn the alpha male. You got to learn his ways. You got to learn where he goes. You got to learn what he's doing, where he's going, what's happening with him. He says, Because they're incredibly smart. He says, because they've been around the, the block a little bit, those alpha males, that they can go to the edge of a, of, a, of a trail, and they know there's a trap at the end of it, and they will stop and turn the whole entire pack away from it. He says, so if you can find the alpha male, you can take care of the rest of the wolves. So this tracker, trapper, took the photographer back to his barn in the back, and there was pelts of wolves all the way around his, all the way around his barn. He said, you see these right here? These are all alpha males. Every one of them are alpha males. Every one of them are alpha males. And because I got this one, I can go get the, the pack. And so I want you to understand and know that the enemy <laughs> is going after the alpha male, which that's not the way he sees himself, by the way. He goes after the leader. And he wants to take the leader down so he can do everything he can to take the pack. Because We won. We're unified. He starts here. That's why you pray for him. Pray your guts. Some of you, it might not make any sense to you. I get it. And I hope you get it. We need to pray for each other. Be unified. God's doing something in this church. This church has grown so much since the last time I was here. It's got such a sweet spirit. The Holy Spirit's sitting in this place. You got Noah's Ark, man, up in the top. Listen, God's doing incredible stuff here. Don't do anything to destroy you. Get your tail here on Wednesdays. If you're just sitting in your recliner watching Bill O'Reilly, DVR that thing. And come and pray. Do something with your life that produces purpose. Be a warrior. Be a warrior. Be a warrior. Be a warrior. And listen, when God starts testing your faith, respond correctly respond with him. Start walking the way God's called you to, okay? Let me pray for us. You can separate if you want to. All right, no more awkwardness. Father, we love you. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward
1: slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.